evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast with you. So this is Bob live in the lounge staring at the Ouija board. Super stoked for tonight's guest. You know, a lot of times, I guess you replace somebody at a job and like, you know, you, you hear things of them and then like you never see them. You just kind of, you know, hear the, the tales of legend and you're like, you know, you, you try to do your best. And, you know, this particular job I'm in right now, I think I'm in my second month. And in the course of those two months, I heard many stories of uh, the guests tonight on the Bobcast. And it just it seemed to me like, you know, that we have a lot in common. Like both have a general love of entertainment, a general love of film editing and video and all sorts of things. And, you know, I saw some of his um, his musical work. And I also took a listen to his podcast, which is called Cast of the Past. It's a lovely uh show which talks about all things that i could relate to in my early days with nintendo 64 it's all about classic video games um he's multi-talented and i'm super stoked to connect with him here on my show uh please welcome tom peeler to the bobcast thanks so much for having me happy to be here first off i love your microphone too by the way i like it how it's got like this wookie look to it exactly got the dead cat on top uh it's a bit completely over the top and unnecessary for a podcast mic but i had it laying around and i was like well i'm gonna put it to use well, i so. saw it in your instagram story and i was just like i had some you know some envious eyes there i was like i need to i used to have a like an axel rose like uh like you know like what do you call like you put like i call them axel roses because i'd never actually oh figured out the, the proper terminology it's when you put the sponge on top of the microphone do you know what i mean okay like yeah just any kind of general like windsock or, or dead windsock. cat it's furry is what I, I I remember calling them or hearing about them being called on film sets and stuff. So, yeah, different names, same thing. So um, this is an audio podcast, but I want to just describe uh, for the listeners out there what I'm seeing. It seems as if you live in like a pop culture kingdom uh, in your room. I see. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the stuffed animal right there, is that from an American tale? Yeah, that's an incredible find that my sister picked up while she was thrifting. She found the stuffed Fievel for an American Tale, and I was like, "Holy crap! That's like a set. That's like a borderline rosebud childhood thing there for me." So, so for me yeah. too as well. So as soon as you came on today, I was like, "Wait a minute," because um, I have never seen that. But I, I I recall seeing that film in theaters. Oh, you're so lucky. Ah, when I was like maybe like four or five, like it had to be 85 or so. And it was it used to be this movie theater. It was um, if you know uh, where the Marshalls is on Butler Pike in Germantown or Butler and Ridge, there's a Marshalls there. And that used to be a um, theater, it had two theaters in there. Oh, interesting. OK, I, I know that Jaws played there first. I wasn't alive for Jaws, but I had heard from my parents. And then, yeah, I saw American Tale that I remember what I remember the most about, I think like somehow or another in my vernacular, like American tale and uh, secret of the nymph kind of like morphed into one, you know, like they, they feel very um, brother or sister type family oriented, but that film, Absolutely, yeah. Amer that was the first time that I think I saw an um, American tale. Yeah. So it was like a cartoon that had very um, adult sensibilities to the plot, you know, like there was like a sense of, um, there were stakes in that cartoon, you know, like it felt like they had to accomplish something for the first time. That's what I recall the most from that classic, which somehow or another, like doesn't get the audience. I, I, I know it's a hit, but like it's not talked about so much like, you know, other films like, you know, yeah, from that, that yeah. era. I agree with you on all points. Um, so it's funny you bring up Nim. Uh, Nim and American Tale are both films from the great animator, John Bluth. And 
he in his early career he played a lot in like the realm of you know the talking animal movie his his first like triple threat it was secret and Dim, american tale land before time and i agree with you in the sense that uh like land before time has gone on to become this kind of like family-friendly media franchise with a bunch of like sequels and tv shows as a very kind of kid-friendly product but the first movie of land before time it's like borderline it's all animals dealing with like discrimination yeah. and like the primal fear of literally being eaten by carnivores and an american tale of very straight front fronts uh Fievel is a member of a jewish family who is forced out of his country by anti-semitic groups of the time i believe they're the cossacks i could be wrong i, I think that's wrong. right I'm a, I'm a fan of history i'm not a historian but uh you know and he comes to america and oh they think America is going to be this glorious paradise for uh, for immigrants. And oh, guess what? It's not. And uh, it's, it remains remains timely in that way. And uh, I yeah, as you said, stakes, you know, there's very human stakes in what's ostensibly a talking animal flick for kids. But it goes deeper than that. And that's what I appreciate about it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a staple of my childhood. And then I, I, could st- I still say I enjoy it. I, I, um, I don't know if they've ever released it on Blu-ray, but I got an old DVD of it laying on the shelf down there. I was just trying to think that to myself. It's like they didn't put that out on Blu-ray per se. But, you know, I mean, like that that era in particular, though, I mean, films that come out then, there are also films that come out against, um, like there's no internet to like c- compete with. There's no Rotten Tomatoes audience right. score. There's no, um, you know, um, like I was just reading this article this morning about Don't Look Up and it's like some people are claiming that the reviews are so far down because it's a film that tries to get you to, bat an eye at um corporate america or something like that and like that's why you know what i mean it's like come on like it's just a film for god's sake you know what i mean like i think sometimes like i like i feel like you know like when we were younger like in, in my generation growing up like we experienced film for just the film itself you know like you watched forrest gump and you just watched it because it was forrest gump not because i mean like today and let's let's be honest like here on the bobcast right like it's like i don't know if forrest gump would be made today you know, because it could right, be like, right. you know, like uh, labeled as like, you know, being like making fun of somebody or something like that, you know, and I think we need Forrest Gump, though, you know, like we need tales like this to show this is what I like the most about cinema and like storytelling is like watching something to feel more human. Absolutely. Sure. And, and that's that's a key part. Uh, Roger Ebert once said that, like, you know, movies are empathy generating machines. You know, it's it's one of the only ways that we can walk in someone else's shoes. And whether you're watching them for that or escapism, either way, both are good. It, it, you made an interesting comment. So, like, I think a lot of the things that cause the current hubbub around Don't Look Up is that the director has a stated agenda and he's like this is why i made the movie and this is the only lens i'm going to i'm I'm telling you it's supposed to be viewed through and everyone's fighting because people are like well he's wrong because he didn't make it well enough and that's clearly not the message or other people saying like what are you talking about that's the message and i feel like pre-internet like you're talking i think filmmakers just made their statements through the film it was like i'm leaving everything on the table in this movie and you go and see it and talk about it with the people you care about and come to your own conclusions. And that's not always the case. There have been filmmakers over the years who have been like, Oh, people missed the point, but it really was a lot more just kind of like in your hands now. But now that we have this technology where it's like, can like I can tweet the filmmaker right after I see, I see his film and I go, or her film. And I go, Oh, you did or didn't do this well enough. And then the, the storm that goes from there, the storm of film Twitter, which is 
a place I don't recommend anyone get into. It can be pretty horrible. Yeah, I, I um I have something I can and uh, share about that. I mean, you are exactly correct, and I've detailed this a couple times on my show before, but I'll repeat myself just for you know summary purposes. But <clears throat> there's a film that came out on HBO probably maybe I want to say six years ago, seven, and I'm a huge Nirvana fan and. For a long period of time, I was highly anticipating this film called Montage of Heck that came out on HBO. Great documentary, yep. So, um, I mean, I just, I love Nirvana. Like, it's like, I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever had one, it would probably be something to do with Nirvana. But um, I, it meant a lot to me. I had a subscription to HBO, you know? I was young. I didn't have any kids yet. And I just couldn't wait till it aired on Friday because... The reviews were coming out, the spoilers were coming out, and it just meant a lot to me. So I watched an advanced copy, if you will. Sure. I tweeted the director, Brett Morgan, right before bed about how beautiful the film was and how nice it was to see my favorite band again. And dude, he 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 DM'd me like immediately. He was oh. like, How he was like, How did you see my film already? Are you a pirate? Like, what are you doing? Then he like I I remember the evening very well. It was like a Wednesday night, and I had I was teaching school at that time, and I had to wake up the next day, and <laughs> I, I had just taken a melatonin, and like I was like ready for sleep, and he he asks for my numbers in the my phone number in the DMs, and I'm like not close enough to the microphone, and it's still to this point, it's still to this day, I'm upset at myself that I didn't record the conversation. He calls me. He's definitely under the influence of something from my best assumptions, and I can't prove that. But he continues for a half hour to just go off on corporate corporate America, corporate agendas, torrents, everything. And, like, you know, doesn't want to talk to me about anything about Kurt Cobain or anything like that. But, like, I learned my lesson that day. Gotcha. You know? And like, I was like, I have a subscription. I'm not stealing, but you know, it is what it is. But I mean, yeah, I mean, like with the Twitter universe and stuff like that, it is upsetting that like, you know, a film can be, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed Don't Look Up. I watched it twice just because okay. I hadn't seen a film that was like trying to say something in a while, you know, that felt different. But sure, sure. Also, I mean, like, you know, like I also like The Matrix Resurrections and a lot oh, of people yes, yes. hated The Matrix Resurrections. So much so that like I would tell them that I liked it and then they would go out of their way to text me a very detailed, you know, little paragraph about how much they actually. Sorry, buddy, I'm doing a podcast. That was my son, ladies and gentlemen. It's okay. I love the Matrix Resurrections, but a lot of people were like, it sucks and you should know it sucks. And I'm like, but this is my this is my how I feel. Can I have my own feelings? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, opinion amplification can be really like really bad like i think what the internet has done to to give the voiceless a voice over the last couple decades has been remarkable but that's also you know as that has risen there has also just been a rise in people who need to share their opinions but can't be uh constructive about it or can't be receptive to the opinions of others and when i was you know much younger i i could have i could have and probably was that kind of like isolated and boxed off and i'm trying every day you know i try to get better every single day but i know what you mean like i also enjoyed resurrections and i find the the real kind of just like opinion meltdown about it on social media spaces to a be remarkable and b be kind of hilarious considering what the themes of the film are <laughs> in that uh mm -hmm. 
you know, in reinventing new ways, slight spoilers, in reinventing new ways to explain how the Matrix continues to control humans, they basically say, oh, social media and the kind of envy culture and misery culture it produces uh, keeps you all in a state of sedation that we, the machines, benefit off of. And it's just like, everyone's like, this movie's dumb, it's bad, blah, blah. And it's like, <laughs> you're rejecting, you know, the the very interesting messaging that this movie's going after. Yeah, there's so uh, many but, like, yeah. themes that like I picked up on. Like, that theme, too, was like the one that, like, uh, it was bold and it was a, a resonation for me. I mean, like, they even named Warner Brothers. But, I mean, to me, like, I think what I liked the most about it was it was just it, it, what I liked about the first story there's a love story and like i think that's what the two sequels failed to um explore further like i felt at the end of matrix one that also like the, the, the original matrix like he flies out of that phone booth and you think to yourself my god he's like all powerful now but then in the mm -hmm. second one like he arrives at zion and he's just just like a regular dude like everybody else and it's like what is this the same franchise this film, though, Resurrections, kept that feeling for me, this this the, the intimate love story, but also mixed with like the feeling of um, uh, dissolution, like towards like one's reality. And also, too, like people were like, well, like, I mean, like I had the, I mean, I talked about it on my podcast, like why is like people are like, why is the video game look like the movie? It's like because the, the movies you saw to me is this. Thomas Anders, like he made the movies we saw in theaters are the game that he made if that makes sense you know what i mean like right. he made yeah. he made those three games and like the games in that world look like the movies we saw so those movies are just his recollection of it so we have no idea really what went down which i think yeah, absolutely cool. it, it's a in-universe conceit that the footage we know of Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne doing the red pill, blue pill scene is a cut scene within the video game that Thomas Anderson made for his matrix movie. And that's just the logic. And I, yeah, I, I know what you mean. People like get really hung up about certain details like that. And I want to, I can be really stream of conscious. So I'm sorry. That's okay. that, you, you've heard my show. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do too. So there, you're in, there you're in good go. hands here. That's why I knew that you and I would have like some sort of kinship. <laughs> I mean, absolutely but I, I really appreciate too that yeah the matrix resurrections is point blank a, it is a love story and it focuses a lot more on neo and trinity than either the two middle sequels did i like reloaded a lot i think revolutions falls apart in some areas but i'll watch it you know yeah and um but something that i thought was really interesting is we, we, we talk back to the 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 negative opinion tidal wave there was a lot of criticism of like oh they they ruined trinity or they made trinity like too powerful and everything and i think i'm spoiling some stuff again but it ignores the importance of trinity across all the movies you know neo is the one but he could not be activated without trinity you know like trinity is is super important to the concept of neo's chosen one status in that universe the first movie when she declares her love for him that that affirms him being the one and allows him to be reborn the second mm -hmm. movie neo rejects his purpose for trinity because he loves her and then he becomes more powerful in that way third movie she sacrifices herself for him and then he is able to fulfill his destiny and now in this movie he is like hey we're so connected. I have to, you know, f make sure that she's free too. You know, like they, it's, it's important, but you get like this, you, like 
if, if people out there don't enjoy the film, fine, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's when people sit down and say the movie, as you said, the movie is bad because of X. And it's like, well, your interpretation of X yeah. kind of doesn't hold up if you look at the scope of the whole series. You know, I, I agree. I, and, you know, it's, it's weird, too, because it's like a lot of times with our culture today, it's like, you know, a film comes out and it's I mean, I remember when Batman vs Superman came out, I was right down the middle. Fans love it. Fans hate it. But it's like you can't. I also I mean, like you should never say to somebody, you know, I don't like it and you should, too. Like, it's just a really terrible, like a human way to, to look at something, especially I mean, like we actually are privileged to have pop culture, you know, like I'm privileged that I get to watch like I have a choice. I could watch Peacemaker tonight. I could watch something else. You know, what I mean, there's so much entertainment right now. And plus, for somebody like myself who grew up with comic books, I mean, like, God, it's like. You know what I mean? Like, I still can't believe that, like, they're making these things that only one small group of kids knew about back in the day. And now it's like at the forefront of everything. Yeah. And then, you know, you also get people hating on that, too. And it's like, God, dude, can't we just, you know, like. I I used to be a lot like that. And, you know, you get older, you get wiser. Mm -hmm. I I don't I don't I don't like it, but I have to reckon with the fact that I used to be this is bad and you should agree that it's bad. There's still things, you know, there are still pieces of entertainment that I think are bad, like, you know, bad objects, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard to never tell anybody like how they should feel. And mm-hmm. all I can do is hope I get better at that. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I think it was, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You, you talked at the top about how uh, we both worked in, in the same position. You are now working in the kind of educational, the edutainment kind of position that I used to uh mm-hmm run and it was interacting a lot with the younger generation that started kind of like making me say hey you gotta be more open-minded and you can't be as harsh in what you talk about because you're just gonna look like you know an asshole to, mm-hmm. to people um it was like hearing how like younger people uh the, the, the generation z coming up what they thought about some things from my childhood positive or negative and being like oh okay i gotta reckon with how these as you said pop culture objects they're not mine and uh you know it, it, it helps my perspective with stuff i agree 100 uh, I, I think that's where that. i got yeah. mine too like when i 10 years like i started teaching when i was like 24 and like i remember also to try like i was the same like when i was younger like yeah like you should like this and like don't like that and it, i felt the same thing like through kids also, too, like when, like, you know, like a good teacher or a person who's like in a place of uh, instruction or education, you kind of like, I think that some of the best teachers that I had always came off like a blank canvas where it's like, like they, they don't, they shouldn't know like what my political beliefs are. They shouldn't, they should, like, I shouldn't tell them that and like tell them how to think. I shouldn't tell them what music I think is good or what films are good. They should just see, like, I should tell them things about themselves that they can, like, you know, use later. Like you should never like mold somebody's like ideologies really. And like, I found that at an early age, just be like, oh, it's just best to like, you know, present yourself to people in a way where you're just there as an aid, you know? Or like, like I said to the kids, like my first day, like, you know, I've been writing screenplays for 10 years. Um, I've had some some successes some some failures and, you know, optioning scripts and like all weird, you know, like weird terminology for kids. And I was just like, look, anything you want to know use me you know and like that's the best feeling like when you can show them like the other day like for instance like i showed a kid like how to um he had no clue how to like do a hard limiter and audio for people out there don't know it's like 
you capture a video or audio and it's too low and you can use this device to like bring it up. The kid's eyes lit up like Christmas morning. He was like, no way. And I just felt so good about myself after that, you know? And it's like, that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Those, those are the moments that uh, were the bright spots of that, of that job for me. And I'm glad that those can be, you know, the peaks for you as well. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, it all goes hand in hand too. like what I was talking about with like, you know, storytelling and stuff like that. And one of the things that um, I mean, I'm noticing too, cause it's, you know, it's an audio cast, but uh, I'm just telling people what I see. Um, a lot of times like films, I really enjoy it ends oblique, like in a, it ends in a way where the audience has to figure out um, what happened. And mm -hmm. you're wearing a hat of a film company that I tried so hard to get a, a supernatural thriller of mine to pick up. And I had numerous conversations with them. They're called A24. And they always put out really, in my opinion, high quality films, also horror films that I hadn't seen in a really long time. I'm not a fan of gore. I'm a fan of like mental stuff. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. like the first time I saw Hereditary in the, in the theater, I mean, spoilers, whatever, if you haven't seen it, I mean, then say an incident like is shocking. You know, you're just like, what? But I love that they're making films like that. Now. I, I like that, you know, like they've also put out uh, uncut gems, which I loved. <laughs> I, it was just so like nerve wracking to watch. It is exciting. And wouldn't you agree that there is new film companies out there now that are putting out risky films that we haven't seen before? Yeah, A24 is kind of the, the kind of popular example of that. A24 is becoming so just unique in what it does that I've seen joke. It's like, oh, it's the Marvel of indie films, you know. Um, but Neon is another company. They were the distribution company that got Parasite released in America. Mm -hmm. And Neon seems to attach itself to really interesting and kind of thought provoking or just like really engaging fare. Going back to Hereditary, I, again, we don't want to spoil for anyone who didn't have the, the opportunity, but the moment that you're referencing, there is like a, a handful of communal theater experiences, you know, where you and, and the audience, the room full of strangers that you're sharing this moment with all react. And when that happened, I think that's probably the first time I ever felt just discomfort with yeah. a group of people and we were all mm -hmm. like hey is everybody in, like not unspoken is everybody in the room okay because holy crap yeah i mean it's just really well done like as far as the way it's shot um i just something about that type of feeling too like i remember that i remember like i think it was like not opening night but the second night of um get out and nobody had seen a film like that yet and i remember there's this one particular scene where he goes out the main character or I can't remember his name, but the protagonist goes outside to catch a smoke and he's outside. He's about to light up the cigarette and he looks out in the field and like, there's this man running towards him. And like, the, you could feel the whole theater just like, <gasps> like cringe. Cause they had never seen something like that really. And like that submersive communal feeling like is so addicting. And like, that's one thing that I'm super, super stoked. It came back too. like, I mean, during the winter break, I got a chance to sneak out one night and I, I caught, um, uh, the new Spider-Man flick with like a sold out audience. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like I, well, I've talked about it on the show spoilers. If you haven't seen it, just turn off the podcast and delete me forever. But yeah, I mean like Tobey Maguire and, you know, Andrew Garfield, they show up, but there's one moment in the film that just, I, I keep thinking about, and it's two lines of the exact same dialogue. It's when Andrew Garfield saves MJ. Are you okay? Are you okay? And like, that is exactly the stuff that 
I live for is like that emotion, but also that nostalgia, that pop culture, like just dopamine hit, you know, like it feels so good. My bad. Yeah, dude. absolutely. You saw, you saw Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Oh, oh no, don't, sorry, don't worry. Okay. I, I saw it. I saw it. I, I, I think at this point, if, if you haven't seen it, you don't want to see it. Yeah. And I don't mean to presume sometimes movies yeah. don't get to certain areas, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a month. It's been number one for like four weeks at this point, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I agree. And that, that's the, the one thing that Marvel's tapped into that I enjoy, but I always kind of go movie to movie, just staying cautiously optimistic because I don't want them to get to the point where they ride all on dopamine and not on the Story. strong character, mm-hmm. the strong character writing. Like I, I think Endgame is one of the most fantastic, just like spectacles and movie going experiences I've ever seen. It was emotional roller coaster. I, I'll, I'll, put the portal scene on YouTube from time to time, just to like live in that moment. Cause it's so, and I remember the crowd going nuts crowd mm-hmm. equally went nuts in Spider-Man. And yeah, I agree. I enjoyed that. My fiance who has never seen the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. Like I kind of gave her like a brief kind of summary of them when he caught MJ. Like she said, that was one of the best moments of the movie. I was so like happy that he did that. I was so happy for him. And I was just mm-hmm. like, and it's like, that's where I agree with you. Like they really handle the characters well and everything. And um mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's a there's a long form conversation about something that Marvel may be doing in Doctor Strange. Is it is it appropriate for the show or should I? No, no, it is. So so here's here. Here's what it is. There is this big chain of rumors going around. And that's why I don't consider these spoilers because they're rumors. So many people may not know this, but the first person approached to be Iron Man in 2007 before Robert Downey Jr. took the role was Tom Cruise and he turned it down. And the rumor going around is that the next Doctor Strange, it's going to involve the multiverse, bouncing between different dimensions and everything. There is a big rumor that they got Tom Cruise to come in to do a, like a sequence where he in like there's a universe where Iron Man is somebody else. But for the audience, it's like for the audience, it's meant to be, hey, look, we're, we're calling back to this thing. And I was having a conversation with some of my friends where it's like that's like cool on paper and cool to me. But I, I it's one of those things where is this like IMDb trivia writing scripts versus like a thoughtful thing? Like it, it, it it's fine if it's kind of like a one-off thing, but I can, I can really see certain audience members being like, why was Tom Cruise there? What's, what's going on? And then you Not have getting to, it. yeah. Yeah. Like, is it too deep of a, of a, like, you know, reference? Because at that I, point it's just like, are, is Marvel just going to call everybody? It's like, Hey, Emily Blunt, you auditioned to be Black Widow once. Do you want to show up, you know, in this? I mean, I, I think it's a bad thing. I would geek out. I would love it, but. I would have liked John, John Krasinski as Steve Rogers. That's one of the biggest and most interesting what ifs in movie history for me. Is I like, just feel like he has more. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, look, Chris Evans is great. I mean, he was human torch first, you know, and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, he does a great job at Endgame, though. That the one particular sequence, I also too saw it on opening night, and like you know, you know what's crazy is like what I not to go off topic, but just to spin things around real quick. That night, you know what I remember more than anything, not the portal. I remember the crowd reacting towards the um, cut to black five years later. You know, because the, the film opens up with like you you just take Thanos out, like he gets decapitated, and then bang um it's the title card says five years later and i remember people being like holy shit like they didn't see that coming you know like what's happened the hawk smart 
the worst fat. Like, you know what I mean? It was just really, really <laughs> well done. And also for comfort, you know what's, you know what I like to watch a lot? I like um, Infinity War, uh, like when Robert Downey Jr., um, his Tony Stark, like uh, goes to uh, uh, Doctor Strange and then like the Hulk, like, you know, the Hulk, Bruce Banner tells him about Thanos and then he, he, you know, like the scene where like the hair moves and then he has to go outside. I love that scene. And then everyone's running away. Like it's, it's great. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, like those, those feelings are, are wonderful. Um, you know, you can also get these feelings a lot of time too from uh, other forms of entertainment. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was your podcast. Um, I went through um, your page uh, and I'll provide links for people down below if you want to check it out. Like video games, like, man, I was just going back in my mind of like all the classic stuff that I used to play. And like my son's into games now. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun experience to share things with him. But I, I had a really big, big, big issue with GoldenEye. I was hooked on GoldenEye for like two years with my little brother. And there was many sibling like conflicts that arose from this game, uh, which was basically the, the faculty with the golden gun. So I would like turn a corner, hit him in the head once and he'd go down. <laughs> he'd be so mad at me but like do you recall like what was your first love affair with video games it, it's probably mario because of the just straightforward jump in and, and play simplicity of it like the beauty of mario is that anyone can pick up and play mario and that's why it's endured and i do remember like I didn't get a video game console until like my eighth or ninth birthday when I got a Nintendo 64. So like those first couple years of my conscious concrete mind, it was going to like friends or relatives house who play video games and like getting to watch them. Like <laughs> I was watching uh, let's plays before let's plays existed, you know, but when I got a chance to play, I was always like, can I play Mario? Can I play Mario? Golden eyes, a, 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 an interesting one because that's, probably the first big multiplayer game that everyone was you know at like just diving right into at the moment it's one of the first video games i ever got my dad to play he was like oh like the james bond movie this is really cool but yeah there were there were many uh disagreements or many uh like that was cheap out of goldeneye and its legacy is secure like you know that game did for what that game did for multiplayer gaming and like bringing in the concept of first-person shooters off of PCs and onto consoles. Incredible. I, there's a fair argument to be made that, like, in today's age where, like, controls have been refined and stuff, GoldenEye is a little hard to play for some people because, like, I, I don't know how much modern-day contemporary games you play, but a lot of first-person games rely around the whole, like, twin-stick concept to, like, oh, yeah. look and aim and move, whereas GoldenEye was specifically made to, like, handle through the N64's one analog stick. So translating it to some more modern stuff, it's it can be hit or miss, and I think that's affected its reputation a little bit. You know, people can be like, oh, GoldenEye's overrated or GoldenEye's aged poorly. And who's to say it has or hasn't, but the memories that, you know, we both have, are part of its of why it's a worldwide legacy because you know from our generations people are like this was saturday nights this was you know mm -hmm. like playground arguments <laughs> i remember trading like rumors about golden eye like oh in the multiplayer mode like it says this door is locked you know you couldn't get to this door in like the archives yeah but then we were like what well, does that mean there's a key <laughs> does that mean like if we find the key you know like stuff like that yeah i remember that cemented man. that game so correct me if i'm wrong is it super nintendo then nintendo 64 right yeah, that's yeah, that'd be the lineage. How many years in between is that? I so the Super Nintendo, so 
original Nintendo 85. I believe Super Nintendo is 91. And then N64 was 96. 96. That, that's about yeah. right. Yeah. I, so I was, yeah, my brother was seven years younger than me. So yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I remember like uh, Star Fox being like, this is the future. We have arrived <laughs> in the future. Mm-hmm. And it looks like the this. controller shakes. Oh my god! <laughs> I know. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, this immersive, like you know, uh, technology. Um, that game. There's a couple other ones that are just like obscure ones that we got hooked on. Like um, there was this like zombie game. I can't remember the name. I wish I. Zombies ate my neighbors on the Super yes. Nintendo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We were running around taking out monsters with squirt guns, kind of universal style monsters. You see Frankenstein, you see yes, the, like Boris Karloff's The Mummy, like I, walking I, around. It's, I it's had dumb. nightmares about this game. It like stuck into my head, and like you know, like there's like a really eerie theme to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like th- at that time too, like there was this feeling of um, like I remember like you know a game was super expensive, right? So like what you had then was the introduction of blockbuster video, and then the whole like Fridays, like after school, everybody going to Blockbuster Video to get the game that they could rent for the whole weekend. And it will cost you like four bucks, I think for the whole weekend. And I remember they they even like had like a thing where like you could rent like sets of, of sorts. I think there was like, um, you could rent like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that, like Nintendo 64 had like a different type of like pad that you put down on the ground that you ran on. That would be the original Nintendo. They had one of those. But yeah, I do know you are mm-hmm. correct in that Blockbuster did rent accessories or consoles. Mm-hmm. There was like deposits required. But yeah, you could rent those deposits. items. Deposits. That's right. Yeah, it was like a $100 deposit for something. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, in today's age, I mean, like, that's the main difference, I think, without a doubt. I mean, like, with everything we've discussed thus far in this podcast, it's like, you know, our, the films that we love, American Tale, GoldenEye, you had to seek them out. You had to go look for them. You had to find them, you know, whereas now everything is just at the tip of your fingertips. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I I miss appreciating the struggle. <laughs> I've talked about it before. I had this like plight. I'd like, I, maybe one day I'll write a story about it, but it's like for three months, I tried desperately to rent Predator 2 on VHS tape and I just could never get it. <laughs> and then like, I went to multiple stores. Then I finally got the, the movie and God, it wasn't what I thought it was, but it was still good, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I used to work at a video store. I worked at Hollywood video rest oh, in cool. peace. Uh, it's funny. You bring up blockbuster. They were like, even though I love blockbuster when I worked there, it was like, no, you love Hollywood video blockbuster. Is the <laughs> but there was a, there was a kind of magic to perusing the aisles and not knowing what you wanted but just like you know picking up a movie reading the back and then at the end of the of the night just rolling the dice and it's like well i'm gonna rent these and take these home and i hope i get something good out of it Mm -hmm. and you know digital streaming for what it is it is a very good thing like it, it it has brought for many people like certain kinds of movies to their attention and it's made some things more widely available but I'm a physical media guy. Like if if the if the camera was set up downstairs in our living room, I've I've got like two massive bookshelves end to end with movies on them, and I really value that because, you know, streaming is good. But with streaming, you're at the whim of the provider. You know, you aren't in in control in that way. And you know, it's, it's kind of funny that like that kind of was the case in video stores too. You were at the whim of the provider. If someone yeah. got Predator, like you mentioned, you were SOL. But in this day and age, I try to like own everything. Um, the holiday times are where you really feel it because you know, uh, this is, uh, I'll just tell you this is a fact. I used to work at a digital distribution company 
and uh, movie studios, they have contracts with like Netflix and iTunes and all these places around certain times of year, their movies, people will always say, oh, it's weird. I wanted to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but it's not on Netflix anymore. Yeah, that was done on purpose because mm-hmm. they want to drive up sales or they have exclusive like TV contracts. Like Charlie Brown has to air on NBC at like, you know, so what I, uh, this year I was like, you know, doing my Christmas shopping and I saw they had the Rankin Bass specials, you know, Rudolph, Frosty, you know, like this little like box set for 20 bucks. And I was like, I'm picking this up because my parents always want to watch those, but then it's like, oh, we're never together at the right time. So now mm-hmm. every year going forward, hey, it's the holiday time. Pick a night you want to watch Rudolph. I have it. You know, like we're in control mm-hmm. of uh, of it now. So it's the the eternal struggle with with kind of yeah. We had that nowadays. with Elf. We we okay. just, we had to have Elf on the Blu-ray just so that we could watch it anytime we want it. But yeah, it's I agree though. It's like you're at the mercy of them, and you know video stores in general though it's just i miss it you know i mean i miss like that record stores and like you know appreciating it in a way that you know i guess only our generation will ever be able to relate to i I always you know tell people like we are the cowboys of our generation you know what i mean like we are the ones that remember the wild wild west the way it used to be before you know the modern day industrial revolution of technology just took over which is crazy because we both work with technology but it's like Mm -hmm. i'm aware of it and I like it and I use it to create things, but I don't allow it to like tell me what to think. You know what I mean? Like that's the difference. I think with a lot of times, like with the younger kids, it's like, I'm scared that they're like allowing themselves to see this type of content and then think it's the real, you know, thing. It's like, it's just a weird world that we live in now, especially I'm so glad that I didn't have social media growing up. Cause I would have been a mess. Sure. Sure. I, I- I had a very real conversation with my therapist recently about some like things I've been feeling. And I just basically had to admit to her. I was like, basically I'm seeing some things from people I know in social media and I'm getting upset with myself. And she's like, well, you know that social media is carefully curated to make everything look as best as it can all the time. Like I it's, you you can have the self-awareness of it, but still get hurt by it because you know, we're, we're humans, we're fragile beings. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a bummer. And I, I, I get what you're saying. I often wonder what uh, my niece and nephew are going to develop into, given that they have access to this kind of technology way younger than I had. And uh, I don't hope for the best. I mean, there is a responsible way to use it. There are incredible possibilities to using it responsibly. Like with great power comes great responsibility, you know? That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and I think that there is a way Let's hope, let's hope. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that positive uh, statement too, because it's like, you know, I, whereas I feel these things, I also feel that we can use them for the greater good, you know, and um, a lot of times that's all you can ask for, you know, you just want, you want to put your best foot forward. But um, first off, I just want to uh, say thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's, it's been quite a pleasure uh, this last hour to speak with you. Um, we have so much in common that in fact, I think that now this is going to be your first appearance in the Bobcast set trilogy. You come back for two more, then you can sign up for another trilogy like Tom Holland if you want, or you could retire. <laughs> Or you can get Toby to fill it, or maybe Andrew Garfield can come back or whatever. But um, yeah, it's been if we get an animated spinoff where there are alternate versions of Bob and Tom in different <gasps> art styles showing up and uh, saving I'll be the down day. with that's, that. that. That's the deal. I'll be down with that totally. So let's uh, continue this working relationship. Uh, I'll put some links down below so everybody can check out Tom's podcast. It's very cool. Uh, also, his YouTube page has some really interesting video. What's your friend Sam? Did you guys do the song songs together? Uh, uh, Josh. Yeah, it's really well done. I really liked it a lot. 
Thank you. Um, Thank you. So it's a pleasure, folks. Um, definitely check them out. My name's Bob, and this has been another episode of the Bobcast. 